beautiful. I'm so excited about today's broadcast. I have a couple that are going to be our special guests, and I've been dying to get them on the show for a while. They are my pastors at church, and their story of redemption from betrayal is absolutely amazing. One that will bless you tremendously. It shows God's glory, how two people who have risen above the devastation of betrayal and decided to dig in deep, to trust God through the process, and on the other side, they have a life that is absolutely amazing. Josh and Katie Walters have been married 22 years and are the parents of seven children. You heard me right. Yes, I said seven children ages 20 to age two. They live in Charleston, South Carolina, where Josh is an executive pastor at Seacoast Church. Katie and Josh also run a nonprofit called Francis and Benedict that is based in Togo, West Africa. This fashion line employs women and uses the profits to provide generational change to their families. The skirts are absolutely gorgeous. I have quite a few I'll confess. <laughs> Josh and Katie are loved by God and have seen him use their brokenness and pain to change other marriages. In 2008, they faced a devastating season of betrayal and what the enemy meant to destroy, Jesus instead brought victory and an abundant life and marriage they walk in today. The principles they have used to help others are found in their new book, New Marriage, same couple that releases on January the 9th, 2024. You can also find them all over social media. I have put the links where you can follow them below in the show notes. And I want to share one other thing. They have a brand new podcast that's going to be launching November 1st called Date Night with the Walters. 10 minutes to set you up for the best date night ever. Without further ado, let's get started on today's show. Hey beautiful, welcome to Beauty Beyond Betrayal. Have you discovered your husband's been having an affair? Do you just want the pain to stop and be able to take a deep breath again? Do you find yourself up late at night Googling how to save your marriage, heal from an affair? Do you wake up with the hope that this nightmare would end only to feel crushed and humiliated because your husband acts like the affair was really your fault and now you're left obsessing with where he is and if he's seeing her again? Hey, I'm Lisa. I too was devastated when I discovered my husband was having an affair. I too felt the pain would never end and wished he would just stop the affair and we could restore our marriage. I wanted the weight of the trauma to be lifted so I could breathe again and be able to have someone, anyone help me climb out of the dark miry pit of despair so I could begin to heal and be confident in me again. But I kept telling myself, he won't stop seeing her. Must have been my fault. And this pain, it'll never go away. Until I found hope and healing in Christ, along with simple techniques that helped me to learn how to recover from the betrayal. In this podcast, you'll discover what betrayal trauma really is, learn simple techniques to heal and recover, and get biblical guidance to help you make the right choices as you heal from the affair so you can be free from the heartbreak and the pain and rise in confidence once again to be the woman God created you to be. So beautiful, grab your favorite latte or a glass of wine, snuggle up on the couch and focus on yourself for a few minutes. Let's dive into what it really means to rise up from the ashes of betrayal and loss into a life that you really desire. 
Welcome back to the show, beautiful. I have her in the privilege to welcome a couple today that I have been on pins and needles to have on the broadcast, and you are going to really, really enjoy them. They are my pastors, <laughs> which is really such a small world, but their story is absolutely amazing. Josh, Kelly, welcome, Katie, welcome to the show. I want to thank you with all of my heart for being a part of us today. Oh, thank, thank you. you. For Thanks us. for having us. Thanks for all that you're doing. So your story mm-hmm. is absolutely amazing. And I know a lot of the couples that uh, I have worked with that have come on the show, we have had it to where the male has been the betrayer. And I have a lot that reach out to me and say, are you ever going to talk to anybody where it's the woman, right? Because <laughs> I mean, I know woman, women do this too, right? And for me, you know, I told you earlier, I speak from both sides of the coin. When I was 25, I was the betrayer. And then four and a half years ago, I was betrayed. So I speak from both standpoints. Mm -hmm. But for two of you, we actually have the story where, Katie, you were the betrayer in this instance. And God did just an amazing restoration in your marriage. And I look at the two of you today and just your life is just a picture of God breathing life back into dead bones again. And it's absolutely beautiful. So I want y'all to just kind of open this up. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, all of that good stuff. Yeah. Go for it. Well, we're Josh and Katie Walters. We have seven kids. Um, Our betrayal happened in 2008. At the time, we had just had our third um, newborn son. I mean, he was just born. And um, we were in Columbia, South Carolina. Josh was a pastor, student pastor at the time. And I began about a year prior to, you know, this moment when our son was born having an emotional affair. I know it's called that now looking back on it. I definitely didn't, you know, I just was letting my heart kind of wander from him, my mind wander from him. And um, we were in a season that Josh would have said, you know, we were just adulting. Honestly, he's kind of built for responsibility and um, was working Uh, hard. And just didn't know any different in terms of we were both getting our master's and had become homeowners and having kids and working. And so life was really full, but we've always kind of liked life full. And so any tension we felt, I thought, yeah, it was, this is what it feels like to be an adult. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we were running really hard and, yeah. you know, but honestly we had some things in place. I think the, the, one of the principles for us, um, the guardrails that were down were that we were pretty isolated in this church. Um, we had these friends come in, move into the church, and they were really the only people our age. And we kind of latched onto that friendship. So we had, you know, blurred boundary lines in that friendship for a while, coming over for a long time. We were both doing student ministry. But then, you know, when this emotional affair started, I think as I started to pull back from Josh, things started getting more contentious, probably. Um, in our marriage, just me trying to blame him for things, even though, you know, see him in certain lights. Oh, gosh, I just remember thinking he was just the most controlling, you know, horrible person all the while when I'm giving my heart and soul away to this other person. And, you know, we met with so many couples post our story and I tell them it's always such like a slow, 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 fast, you know, for us, it was. And oftentimes it is for people um, that we've found that became the betrayer is that it was slow, slow, slow. And then fast. I remember the text um, that I got that I hid 
And in the moment when almost my stomach hit the floor and I knew, you know, um, this is not right. And I hid that in that moment. That was probably early May. I didn't actually end up confessing to Josh until August of that same year. And um, so in our story, the woman, the couple was our friends. She had come over and was saying something's wrong with my marriage. And when she left that night, I just simply said to Josh, like, what if it's me? And that was all I could get out. You know, we tell people oftentimes that first confession is like the 10%, the tip of the iceberg. Um, and he was really shocked, had no clue, but he, it started to all, he started to put it all together, you know? And I think in our story, what I was hopeful for was that that was going to stay between just us on that couch. No one would have ever known um, about that. And instead ours was really public very quickly because he was a pastor. And so he went to the church and told them um, that I was having an affair, that I didn't know, you know, if I loved him anymore, that he wanted to stay together and that that particular church ended up firing him that week. So he um, was asked to preach his last message. So we went from and asked me to not come back in. And um, we went from, you know, really him, this place of total shock to no job, no community, and really feeling like we were in no man's land um, for probably those first five to six months in Columbia. I was still working as a school counselor, but like I said, our story was really public. So there was a lot of eyes, I yeah. felt like, on us. and Maybe just for three months, because that was September. We moved, yeah, we moved in December. December. And so uh, moving to Charleston was kind of a like desperation move of, and for me, it was a lot of, it was needed and that I couldn't drive the same streets or, you know, just be in the same town with so many like questions in my mind. It's like I was living in this, this movie reel and my mind would turn on trying to reconcile things that I didn't know or envision what, what it must've been like, all these kind of things that getting to a new place, starting a new journey together in a new town, just in a lot of ways, helped my mind go to a new place. So mm -hmm. once we moved to Charleston, I think, even though it was still an up and down road for a good season in terms of rebuilding trust and the phone calls and all that kind of stuff, it was like uh, being in a new place, I think laid the foundation for us to really, you mm -hmm. know, get somewhere. So. And it was really a step of faith. You know, I think Josh, from the beginning, he really had this faith, this stubborn, persistent faith that God can take us to a new place, you know, and I, I was struggling more with that, you know, of, first of all, I was in my shame. And when you're in shame, it's really hard to see up from down, you know, left from right and to make sense of anything. But I just thought maybe we'll stick this thing out and I'll have like a pal. I'll do the good Christian thing. We won't get divorced, but like, you know, I'll end with my like chum, like a friend. And, but I do think when we moved to Charleston, we both knew, okay, we're in this together. We're going to rebuild at all costs, you know, and I saw this man's willing to lose ministry lose his love of the church to fight for our family and get us healthy. Um, but what we couldn't have imagined is mm -hmm. as God started to rebuild us, we really started to get this new love, this love built on exposing our honest selves on true intimacy, on true vulnerability. Um, and it became this safety, strong, you know, love that we had not experienced in those first seven years. Really, we hadn't. We had loved the best versions of ourselves. But when you start to love in that place of pain, rubble, you know, we say you're standing on rubble. Um, what we saw God build through that has just been miraculous, mm -hmm. you know, and um, 
So, yeah, so that's a lot of our story. We've been on staff for 15 years at Seacoast, and that's afforded us the just honor to sit with so many couples and be able to share our story with them. Yeah. One of the things that, you know, you just said that struck me was, Josh, that you went to the church and you shared with them the pain of what was going on in your life. And unfortunately, they let you go. And Katie, they didn't welcome you in the church anymore. And I think that's one of the things that hurts my heart the most is that when couples are going through infidelity, it's a lonely, painful road. Mm -hmm. And the church is the place we need to be able to be Mm -hmm. brought in, accepted and helped so that can be restored to Mm -hmm. one another, to ourselves with God and to the community itself. So I am so sorry, first off, that y'all even experienced that. Now I know that God in his divine plan brought you here to Charleston. That's no doubt, but it's extremely difficult. And that's one of the things I hear from couples quite often is, you know, we went to our church and we shared with them and we were booted out and it just breaks my heart. And so one of the reasons why I am seeking to bring the education through this podcast is to let people know there are places that you can go and reach out to, to get the help and the healing that you so need. That's right. I think a big part of that for me was uh, I tend to be loyal to a fault and just about anything, like in terms of work, it would be really tough for me to leave and just up and go somewhere new or with marriage. I think it played out to just because faithfulness is one of those, you know, um, un, unsexy, unappreciated attributes of God that is like so, so important, you know, and so being loyal to a fault, looking back now, and I would say this is true for any couple that experiences something like this in a mm-hmm. church, a big part of of getting to a new place in your marriage may well be getting to a new place in your faith like, community yeah. and, and in, all, in all areas. And so in any place that man would shun reject you, you, reject you, like ultimately, if it's if it's not good, God's not done. And so if you're feeling pushed out of some areas, if you like, what if you could just see that as the kindness of God inviting you to a place where you are going to get healing, where you are going to find hope, where you are going to find community. It yeah. just kind of gives you a little bit of release from where you're leaving. It'd be so easy to turn back there too and, and embrace like, okay, God, where are you calling us? How are you going to use a new place? Yeah, he's right. And, you know, it does confirm your fears. This is why people hide because they're afraid when they share it, they're going to be rejected or they're going to be outcast. But for us, he's exactly right that a a huge part of us rebuilding was being able to expose Mm -hmm. the vulnerable parts of who we are and see what was left. See what was left of this house that we were building. You know, when I had to tell his parents and, and that was one of the worst days of my life. This, his dad, that was my hero that I adored. And I saw compassion in his eyes. It marked me forever when I had to tell certain family members. And I realized that they were more mad at me than Josh. They wouldn't speak to me. They felt betrayed. They didn't, they were hurt. They didn't want to see God do a new work in my life. It helped to put Josh in this. We always say like your marriage needs to be a 10 and everything else a two. And as, as terrible as it is, these seasons of pain can help you do that. If you will be vulnerable to expose it, you know, but we've walked through a lot of couples that they hide during that time because they, they do have those fears of rejection. And I think 
to give them the hope that if that happens, just like he's saying, it will be yeah. for their benefit. And that's you where know? when we when we did move to Charleston, our first weekend at Seacoast, uh, we had never really experienced response time at the end of a service where they play a few more songs. You kind of have a few minutes with God to process. Well, at the end of this service, we walk up towards the front at the campus we were at and just share with the pastor the 45 second version of our story. And he says, hey, what you're walking through. That's my story too. And look what God has done. And his whole family was sitting on the front Immediately. row. And it was just the most powerful, like in a moment, we had just named our son Abel. And in that service, they started with a song about Ephesians 3.20. Uh, the message was on Ephesians 3.20. And then they sang it again at the end. And so it was this like, just awesome service of like, man, God is able then for us to go up and share where we're at. And the pastor say, hey, me too. God did it in my family. He can do it in yours. It was just like, man, if, if the move alone was just for that, you know, it was just like, that's right. Such yeah. a powerful picture for us. Well, Josh, I want to ask you um, from a man's standpoint, because I have a lot of women that share this, but for you, what was it like when Katie told you what was going on? What was that like for you? Um, I would say it's probably the truest, um, form of shock I've ever experienced and that I feel like I'm a pretty uh, relationally intuitive read a room, discern what's going on. <clears throat> and this was just one of those when like I had no idea. And so the, I think the, the shock was just so real. I couldn't believe this was real. Um, but then also the, the main thing I think it did was uh, in terms of the, the rebuilding and where it was so needed and good for me. Uh, you hear people go through this kind of thing or any kind of awful situation and look back on it and say, well, I wouldn't change it if I could. I always heard that and thought like, well, you're lying because that's ridiculous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why would you not change that if you could? But but I think it, in, in my life and heart, like there was a lot of uh, pressure that no one put on me but myself to like be the man of had the answers, know what it meant to be a leader, be a provider, be a husband, be a father, be a pastor. And there there wasn't space for me to sit down and talk with somebody to say like, bro, I don't know what I'm doing. Like there's a lot of days and spaces where I feel like I'm, I'm faking it and putting my best foot forward. But truth be told, I don't know how to do a, you know, fill in the blank. And so when this happened, it, it put a lot of, uh, you know, we read passages like in our weakness, his powers made perfect, but for a man to expose weakness, you know, it can just be tough. And so I think this sifted out a lot of my pursuits and that we were, we were flipping houses and I mean, gosh, we were running so hard and loved everything that we were doing, but it was almost at the expense of our, our marriage. And so it, after the, after the shock, it just kind of helped all the other house of cards that we had built, all the other pursuits that we labeled important or, you know, we were, we were flipping properties because in ministry, you don't go into it for the money. And we had this vision of getting a property every time we had a kid and holding on to it as a rental and selling when our kid graduated and, you know, good ideas, not that they were bad, but they took so much time and it, it put a wedge in between us trying to hold everything together that, that after the shock wore off, I think it helped me see, okay, this is the most important thing. Like if, if I do anything else in life, finish this race without her, man, it's been, it's been for not. And then it also helped me see like, and if I'm going to do that, I don't know. I don't know how to do this. I can't make her love me. I can't make her stay. 
I don't even have a vision of what it looks like to be a solid husband, father, pastor myself, you know? And so I, I was desiring this thing that my church had let me go. Uh, I didn't have a, a person to embody the thing I wanted, which was a big part of the move to, uh, to Charleston. So I would say, man, a lot of shock, a lot of clarity, uh, a lot of just uh, deep sadness is the only like in terms of emotional explanation that uh, it's the only time in my life that, you know, there was no escaping it. It felt it was an all encompassing deep okay. sadness that the presence of God was the only thing that kind of pulled me out of. He told a couple we were with last night that, you know, that that deep sad, sadness presented like anger, you know, in those initial days. And um, once he got past the anger, he realized it was a deep sadness. And honestly, I didn't ever feel his anger towards me. I felt his anger, you know, um, mm -hmm. looking back, I have no clue how he controlled his anger to not direct it just at me. I think he knew early on there was no way he was going to make me feel what he was feeling or punish me. Or mm -hmm. a lot of times when I get mad at him or when I raged at him, I used to have a huge rage problem, but I just wanted him to feel what my body was feeling. You know, I wanted that anger out of me and onto him. And I never felt that from him, but I definitely felt his anger, you know, but once he got through the anger, then he realized there was so much deep sadness there, which I thought was just a profound thought and way to put it. Grief is, is a huge component in healing from betrayal. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people don't realize that. They deal with the anger, the frustration, the overwhelm, all of the, the things, but they're not seeing that the underlying is you're grieving a relationship that you thought was a certain way, but actually isn't, right? So mm -hmm. you have to naturally go through that grief process and then recognize that from here on out, you're actually building a brand new relationship, one that can be far greater than yeah. you yeah. ever can imagine. And one of the things, Josh, that I picked up on when you were speaking was that betrayal in and of itself also brings out deep things within ourselves. We self-reflect, we can look within, and all of a sudden, God begins to work on us at the core. Because there's always something that he wants to make us better through the experience that we're going through. And, you know, that's kind of what you were saying. And I agree with that, that, you know, God just wants to do something great. And we need to be open to that. Those of us who have been betrayed automatically think, well, the one who needs to be fixed is the one who was the betrayer, right? But in reality, it's both of us. We're both fallen individuals. You know, we are not perfect. We're broken and God needs to do a work in us. And that's an avenue to allow it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's the unique thing. I think when the woman is the betrayer is that ultimately when the husband is the head of the home, like there's a spiritual mantle, there's a measure of like leadership and headship that's, that's on me. And so this decision was one Katie made, like it's not me taking ownership of her sin and decision, but it is acknowledging like, okay, as the head of our home, there's a measure of cultivating her heart, um, pursuing her, loving her, that uh, a measure of this is a result of the culture I created, of the, the strength and bond of our marriage. And so, yeah, there was definitely early on a God helping me see like, okay, what are the the wounded hurting places in me that he wants to set free and, and heal, but also what are the 
where are the the flaws and sin that that I'm responsible for in this conversation that I think a lot of times when we meet with couples, yes, it's really easy for a person to point a finger at the other and miss out on their their responsibility in the covenant. And for them to realize it does not justify the action. You know, we because yeah. even when the stories flip for the woman to realize this is a covenant relationship. So there's aspects of our environment that we've both both created. I I think about it a lot like a rebellious teenager. You know, no parent needs to take responsibility for the actions that that teenager is having. Um, nothing justifies those actions, but it is a good time to self-reflect and see the environment to which, you know, they're cultivating. And if there's changes that are needed to that environment, and this is just a, you know, much harder and bigger example of that. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about this journey that you went on. You know, you, you decided to stay together. You decided we are going to, at all costs, heal this marriage. We're going to heal our relationship and heal one another. What was that like? And how, because I've, I've, I've lately had the word forgiveness has been everywhere um, with couples and individuals that I'm speaking with. Talk to us also about that part of it, the forgiveness journey. Well, I would say one thing is our, the book that we've written that's coming out. It's truly these specific principles. It's the principles that we learned during this course of staying, you know, over those two to three years of rebuilding, these were the principles that helped us to do that. And someone asked us the other day, like, what's the one thing that you've seen that makes a couple like make it or not? And we, we were reflecting on it. We're like, well, we do think it comes down to these kind of four main areas of the book and the principles involved in it. So I'd say, you know, just saying that, that it's a, it's a little bit longer discussion, but there's these core principles for us that really helped us to rebuild. And um, the first one that we talk about in the book is called Start With Me. And that's what we just talked about. The fact that we both had to take, had to pause and self-reflect and at all cost, we needed to do that. Um, and then the second one is to take quitting off the table. So at some point, and you know, like the couple we met with last night, they're two to three weeks in They're They're not strong in their faith of like, we're going to make it. We're taking quitting off the table. But at some point you have to decide to burn the ships. You know, this marriage is going to last and God's for us. And yeah. We're going to rebuild together. And I would say that's, that's, I feel like the part that I'm probably most passionate about only because people, people leave long before they go when they allow their hearts or minds to engage in like, are we going to make it? Do I want to make it? Am I going to stay? And so a big part really of the, the vows we made and the covenant we entered into, it's like everybody wants better, richer and healthier. But when you get worse, broken poorer you know it's like yeah. these are the this is what it was everything I, I knew about her that that got me to the altar but really my vows were this moment it's all the things that I don't know the pain I didn't expect and so as soon as you take quitting off the table that's really the the beginning of of life and so the quicker yeah the quicker you can get there the quicker you can really see God work because you commit to enduring and persevering through the pain and mess to see God yeah. Do something. And then the next part of it is allow others to be a part of your journey. And that's like this podcast. I mean, basically. What and I'm going to break in right there. I know. I know. You're like, what? Why? Because this is going to be a two parter. And part two is going to be released on Friday. 
I know you're going to be on pins and needles because Josh and Katie are sharing some amazing tools that you can actually implement in your own relationship if you are working on recovery, if you are seeking reconciliation after betrayal. And what they are sharing is invaluable. So I urge you to make sure you pop back in on Friday for part two of this episode for the interview of Josh and Katie Walters. I can't wait to bring it to you. And beautiful, we'll see you Friday. Thanks for stopping by today and spending a little while with me. I hope you enjoyed today's show and found hope, healing, and encouragement. Please remember to subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. You can even screenshot this episode and share it on IG or Facebook stories. This is how we get the message of hope and healing out to all women who are in the midst of betrayal and loss. If you're ready to move out of the devastation of betrayal and take the next step in your healing, make sure to reach out to me and schedule your breakthrough coaching call today. Until next time, love God, live your life passionately, and always choose joy in the midst of any circumstance that you may face. Cheers to you, beautiful.